welcome to the Business Banter and Bourbon Podcast with your hosts, Ben and Tom. It, it, it Woodford Reserve is close enough, yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, my neighbor, yeah, um, yeah. yeah he, um, he's a major bourbon aficionado. Oh. And he said he'd be willing to be like the the guest expert Ooh. to provide recommendations and, uh, you know, provide little... Uh, uh, you know, what's well, then he uh, should bring the supply? He's like a, he's like a sommelier of, of bourbon. He should bring the supply, too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You can't show up empty handed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know the difference between a bourbon and a whiskey, don't you? Well, yeah. I okay. Mean, 50% must be corn. No, Got to be in virgin be... charred barrels, right. um, aged for what, a minimum of one year? Right. Where whiskeys yeah. can be from all different grains. Any, yeah. That's yeah. why the, the, uh, Scotch whiskeys are from barley. Yeah. You know, because that's what they grow. Yeah. And that's what they make it out of there. And uh, here they can use anything. And you can see this is a wheat whiskey. Yeah. Which is nice, I think. Yeah. Wheat I like whiskey. it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a wheat yeah. whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Love some wheat like right some now. Wheat, yeah, that's wheat good. <laughs> All right. Maybe, maybe we start with a focused conversation then. Um, okay. Well, uh, I think. Well, you were. Well, I mean, okay. Go, go give your give your report for the week, for the for the week. You yeah. want me to just kind of, kind of recap in summary because Re- recap the yeah. week, and yeah. then we can talk about the Federal Reserve. Yeah, yeah. I think the from the thirty first to the fourth. Oh wow. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there there was a lot going on, mm-hmm. but I think what um, what we generally saw was. The excited run-up continue in the markets until really it ran into a brick wall on Thursday, um, which was when the Federal Reserve released their latest monetary policy guidance where they were going to be hiking interest rates by 75 basis points to a targeted range of uh, 375 to 4%. Yeah, but that was already rate. baked in. I mean, I don't know why the market yeah. reacted to that because yeah. – well, keep going. You no, know, that that was that was <laughs> that had been that had been largely baked into the cake um, over over the past um, few weeks, and that was the run up. I think was because there was some actually a, a news article published in the Wall Street Journal, of all things, where the author wrote that the Fed governors were going to start having a two-sided conversation about whether it was time to start slowing the pace of hikes. Right. Not cutting, right. not reversing or pivoting. It was the, the Fed pause, if you will, that, that P, pivot, pause, or put. It's all about the Fed pause these days. And there was this huge run-up in the market. Like The Dow rallied some 14% since the end of September on this speculation. And then the Fed delivered this 75 basis point hike on Thursday. And in the immediate minutes that followed that release, the Dow rallied another some 350 points prior to um, Chairman Powell's press conference. Okay, keep going. At that point, it wasn't even during the Q&A. It was during his prepared remarks where he said, we actually believe that interest rates may need to go higher than previously anticipated, which really put the kibosh on this notion of a Fed pause or a Fed pivot. And that was purely based on his commentary, not even any forward guidance in the dot plot or anything like that. It was just anecdotes at his press conference. 
um, that that the terminal rate, which presently is priced in around what four and three quarters, something like that, on the Fed funds rate, might actually implied by his comments have to go above five percent. Mm-hmm. Well, that sent the Dow eight hundred points the other way. Exactly. In, in two minutes, we went from up 350 points or something like that all the way down to 500 Yeah, yeah well, on one person's sentence. Here's one of the it, basic yeah. issues with the Federal Reserve, the way it, they handle things now. They can't keep their mouth shut. <laughs> Publish your meeting right. minutes. You don't need a press conference. You don't need to add com- – Jerome Paul doesn't need to add any commentary. People can read the minutes. We can understand what's going to happen. You know, when Paul Volcker raised rates back in the 80s, there was no press conference. He said, we're going up 300 basis points. Thank you very much. No commentary, <laughs> nothing. The markets had to no figure Q&A. out what that meant, yeah. right, and how, what investors needed to do based on that. There was no additional comments to say, well, we might have to go up another three or 400 basis points. No, none of that. This all started with the irrational exuberance speech. Mm-hmm. Remember from Alan Greenspan mm-hmm. yeah. back in the in the dot com yeah, bubble. Hope springs eternal. Ex- yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Right. In in markets. Right. Yes, absolutely. And, the and animal the spirits were come out to figure out what is Greenspan talking about. Let's analyze every word he says. And from that point forward, it was always the Federal Reserve came out with these commentaries, and that became what the market responds to, not what they're actually doing. It was more. Mm, this is the perception of what they're saying. Right. Yeah. And then and then ever since those times, Fed speak, Fed press conference, Fed governor interviews have in and of themselves become a monetary policy tool because markets react yeah. instantly to anything right. any one of these individuals has to say about the, the future prospect of monetary policy. Yeah. Any of the I mean, Fed governors, they respond to that. I mean, because markets look to immediately price that information into to future interest rates and then then adjust accordingly. Right. But you know, it's it's an interesting you know point you bring up about you know, why do we have a, a Fed a, a you know this this cabal of wise men and women in a room who think they know what the proper interest rate should be in the market rather than allowing the banking system and the lending system to organically determine that. Let the market determine that. The problem with the Federal Reserve is, I mean, they kind of do the right things based on old econometric principles and models and all that stuff. The problem with them is they have no patience. Hmm. They have no patience. Mm -hmm. Everything that they're doing or have done since March of this year – Sit and wait and see how the, how the economy responds to that. I mean, this is like a battleship. you got to turn the battleship. They're not giving it time to turn. And mm-hmm. they're jumping in again mm-hmm. and making more comments and saying, we got to go up another 100 basis points or whatever. Wait it out and see how the economy responds to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They and, don't do that. And the, the irony, too, of them thinking they know is it, you look over the past year what's happened They've been behind the two-year Treasury bill every step of the way. Every step of the way, the two-year Treasury yield has has been, what, every bit of 50 to 75 basis points ahead of them. Yep. The market 
knows these things. The market can sniff out, you know, when we should be finding a restrictive rate and when we shouldn't be. Yes, it does. Or when we should be accommodative and when we should be restrictive. And you look at the two-year now, the two-year settled on Friday above 4.7%. Yeah, well, that's crazy. I mean, think about that for a second. the 10-year under 4.1? No, the the 10-year rallied back up to almost 4.2%. Okay, yeah, but you still have a big inversion. I mean, that that is still... yeah, so uh, that's that's t- <laughs> so we do we do have a fifty basis point inversion, but think about that for a second. Think where you have a, you have a situation where all you have to do is give Uncle Sam your money for two years, and you can make four point seven percent doing absolutely nothing. Okay, now you're obviously still going to lose when inflation is eight percent. Yeah, you're going to okay? lose. You're going to lose. But out. that's better than holding cash. Right. Which you will definitely lose eight percent holding cash, depending on if you have your uh, money just in a savings deposit account, or um, or or if you have it in a high yield money market or something like that. But that's better than being in the stock market these well, days, which has been down. Although the Dow rallied, so it's only down about eight percent this yeah, it's year. Still down, but the Nasdaq 20. still down twenty five percent. Yeah, um, gold, which I actually thought would hold up way better than it has. Um, also down, what, maybe just shy of some 20% off of its all-time highs uh, set in late 2021, if memory serves right. Mm-hmm. So what what exactly are you going to do? It's probably hold cash or probably, you know, buy the two-year treasury or build a good bond portfolio. Um, well, I mean, you can never time these things, but I think part of why we've seen the market bounce up and down here very recently is I think people are starting to sense that we're probably closer to the bottom. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Is the bottom another 5% decline, 10% decline? Well, nobody knows. But you got to look at it this way. The market has gone down because the yields on the treasuries have gone up. So Mm -hmm. to your point, people have shifted over and put your money into the, the treasuries. But the Federal Reserve, again, has gone from near zero interest rates to almost four yeah. in the past couple of years. Oh, now, does anybody believe they're going to go another probably, four? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's there. No way. Another three? No, probably not. Two? Eh, possible. Probably one. Yeah. So we're almost to the end of that that whole scenario. Yeah. And then you're going to start to see a shift. The other thing that you never really hear or see a lot about is, again, the the federal balance sheet. They're starting to sell bonds, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens when you sell bonds? Those interest rates go up. But also when they sell bonds, they're pulling money out of the economy, Mm -hmm. making the dollar more valuable. Right. You never hear about any of that stuff. So they're doing other things behind the scenes that, that you know, the, the the interest rate that they're showing publicly is one thing, but then there's, you know, all the other pieces that they can manipulate to control that as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, again, we're probably closer to the end than we are the beginning, obviously. You can't yeah. have that kind of run-up and continue that trend, even though they, they're sounding aggressive and hawkish. It's probably another 100 basis points maximum by March. 
Yeah. And then you'll start to see it flatten and maybe even start to decline. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think probably, probably I'm a little more bullish on yields than you, um, when it, when it comes to, when it comes to bonds, I think, I think maybe a hundred, 125, maybe even 150 and then we're done. Cause if I, if I look at, if I look at, um, the the Fed funds rate now three seven five to four percent is the targeted rate. What the Fed really cares about their preferred inflation gauge is the core PCE. You know everyone everyone understands the CPI, the core CPI, which is just CPI excluding food and energy, and then PCE and core PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditures index. But the PCE, it's like the PCI but it corrects for what people are actually spending their money on. It accounts for the fact that people are trading down, people are buying different things, people are substituting. That inflation rate is still about 5.2%. But here's another so uh, and here's another issue with tracking it or following that or tracking against that. Part of the CPI, one-third of the CPI is housing costs, housing values. Mm-hmm. Oh, a third of it is based on that. Yeah. Okay. And so, rent. And we, rent. Yeah, which is, yeah, housing costs and rent, really. And owner's equivalent rent. Right. Which is uh, a, owner's equivalency, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the market price of housing has been driven up over the past couple of years. Is now started to decline. That has not That is not built into their index at all right now. They're still looking backwards at home values and home prices. Mm-hmm. If home prices drop 20%, How's that going to get reflected in the next six months? Again, that's why I say they have no patience. Wait and see what the effect is of a 4% interest rate. And how does that affect the housing market and one-third of your CPI index? We might see that thing crash. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah, that, that's certainly and, possible. And I think they're 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 toying with danger here. They're teetering on on crashing the economy. Yeah. Well, I think I think actually a crash is what they their their unofficial policy well, actually is. Well, like okay, okay. that is the only way for them to bring down inflation. There's not going to be a, this soft landing scenario that that this, the markets keep hoping for. They can't do it because on the one hand, you hear all of these banks, financial stocks talking about how resilient the consumer is, how the consumer is spending, when in reality what they're doing is actually running up record credit card balances. Uh, we'll talk more well, about that later. $900 billion in credit card. But, but, the Fed, but the Fed, when it comes to, when it comes to housing, I actually think they're going to have the opposite effect for a while. So while housing prices actually are softening, the, the, the rate of growth in the home prices year over year is starting to come down, the buyers are still priced out of the market because they can't afford a 7.4% 30-year interest rate. So what are they right. going to do? They're going to stay renting for longer yes, they or will. they're going to move into mom and, and dad's basement gonna, gonna drive and we're that portion of the yeah. cpi and that's why i say that, yeah. that this is where they're really messed up because they're raising interest rates now that's affecting mortgage rates now that's affecting people not buying houses now yeah mm-hmm. right yeah but they're still looking at prices home home equivalent value six some from six months ago yeah you can't it's you can't do that that's yeah. You're not comparing to the right thing. Yeah, but even with even with the the elevated CPI and a third of that being rent and home prices, the one they're really anchoring to is that core PCE number. So the five point two percent core PCE, 
their official target is 2% inflation. Okay, now we can argue about whether um, the formula they're using to calculate inflation is right or wrong. And actually, if you look at what Larry Summers uh, wrote uh, a few months ago, um, he actually is of the opinion that inflation is every bit as bad now as it was in the 1970s because what he did was he took the current um, formula that that the Fed, uh, I'm sorry, that the government is using to calculate the inflation rate, he took that current formula and applied it to the 1970s. So in the 1970s, we had inflation, it was what, 14 to 17 percent for the better part of, you know, the decade. And what Larry Summers did is say, okay, well, let's take the current model, the current formula that the government is using, and let's compare that or let's use that for the 1970s. And what he found was if he used the current formula and applied it to the inflation in the 1970s, he actually got a rate of about 8%. Inflation? In the 1970s. And guess where we are now? Yeah. 8%. 8%. So, I mean, when you, th- <laughs> when you think about that, I mean, you've got the monkey mechanics there that maybe changes the number from 50 years ago. You mm-hmm. could say, okay, either inflation in the 70s was really 8%, or inflation now is really somewhere between 14 and 17%. Mm-hmm. But the point is, if you look at the PCE, the official number is 5.2%. The Fed wants to get to 2%. So they're yeah. two and a half times off yeah. where they need to be. Okay. And the only way to get there is through a restrictive rate, which I think that means we've got to be somewhere around five and a yeah. half, maybe around yeah. 6% is a terminal Fed funds rate. Well, or we could have another pandemic that he gets there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Lock everyone in their yeah. basement. Right. Turn off their Wi-Fi Close down so all they the can't businesses. buy an Amazon. Shut yeah, down right. all the businesses. No FedEx, no UPS. You can't have anything overnight. delivered to your yeah. door. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right. That will, that would do it pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know that's that's the one that's the that's the reason why I'm like okay I you know if they're anchoring to PCE and interest rates have to be higher than the inflation rate which is officially 5.2 percent you need to be restrictive for a period which leads yeah. me to believe the terminal rate should be somewhere north of that now the the reason that that presupposes that inflation is actually going to come down or stay level though which i'm not too sure about because what we have are a lid on some pretty serious things so i was driving here we're we're at alex's house our my brother is the producer of this show and i came across uh the sitgo hey, hey everybody <laughs> that's good working working the table over there and, um, the sitgo on your corner over here is it 3.99 a gallon Again, okay. Mm-hmm. That's after we've drained the strategic petroleum reserves in this country by 180 million barrels of oil over the last six months to keep a lid on gasoline prices. And now we can talk about oil all we want and how I actually think it's the sanctions themselves rather than the Ukraine war that drove the price of oil higher. But that oh. we can talk about that later. Yeah, there's also China. Yeah, China, China too. But diesel China's saying they're gonna come out of lockdown and no more lockdown. Yeah. And then yeah. and well, then you saw probably the article on on Saturday yeah. where the health minister said, absolutely not. We are sticking with zero COVID policy. That right. is what we are going right. to be doing and we're never moving off of it effectively was what he said. But diesel prices here at the Sitco here in Wisconsin, five twenty a gallon for diesel. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Again, this is after the SPR drains. So what's going to happen when the government can't drain the coffers anymore and has to start buying oil again and the Ukraine war is still going on? How are we not going to blow the top off of five, six bucks a gallon? I mean, we've enjoyed a subsidy for the past six months. Gas and oil prices should be a lot higher. I guess you got to start pumping yeah. oil again. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, you should talk about that. Yeah, okay, I mean, so here, yeah. let me ask you, let me ask your opinion on this. Yeah. I just mentioned China. China coming out of lockdown. Do you think that's an inflationary factor or a anti-inflationary factor? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've got my take on it. Because, you know, I, I see the bull and the bear case for, for both. Well, incidentally, Woodford no. Reserve, not really bourbon. Yeah. 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 But you know what? Still pretty good. Yeah, but it's, it, the, the China. What do you think, Alex? Still goes downstairs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the China, the China story is. I think about, I think about um, the the bearish case for inflation. All right, with their reopening, um, you know, for for imported goods and services, if they're reopening, obviously their economy should be producing more stuff. Um, they should be they should be making more iPhones, iPads, you know, toasters, all the other crap, you right. know, that we get from them. That should have the effect of increasing supply and driving prices down for for consumers here. So that should yes. kind of be a disinflationary. Right. So instead force. of buying a uh, U.S. made toaster, you buy the Chinese toaster you the, that you, you used to yeah, buy. Yeah, that you used and to buy. Lower price, a lower and that price. should bring prices down and and, and with I, the, I agree and with the strong dollar i mean right. that continues to help but the only the only thing that maybe gives me a little bit of pause is with the chinese reopening story they consume a lot of oil yes a lot of oil okay. they're a major major buyer all right so, we're on the same page right, right? so it's, I, I agree with you yeah that. so that, as, as industry fires back up they're going to be i mean the increase in demand there Again, I don't know how anyone can be bearish on oil prices or gasoline or diesel prices. Like these have nowhere to go but up if if China fully reopens. So, what is the effect of that versus you know all the additional um, you know cheap goods and stuff that we should be importing, increasing supply here? You know, on on balance, I don't totally know, uh, but I think there's a case for either. Yeah, there's still no uh, there's still no workaround to oil and gas. Yeah. I mean, you it's, have to have it. It's the lifeblood of everything yeah, in, in an economy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. you can't make goods without it. You can't move goods without it. I no. mean, it, it is it right. is everything. Right. And natural gas, for that matter, too. Okay. Pour a little bit. Pour I'm, a little bit more here. This have, fine, have a little bit more of that. That's fine little, for you. Fine little Woodford Reserve here. <laughs> that's about good. That. You so, need your wheat. Oh, yeah. yeah no. Wheat's got a lot of protein. Wheat's got a lot of it. It's not gluten-free yeah. whiskey. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't want any of that in here. No. Okay, so I'm <laughs> going to shift gears to you, with you again now. Now I'm going to go back to the Federal Reserve and, and how they've been screwing up. Yeah, Reserve. abolish the Fed. Yeah, let's get back to that. I'm going to show you a chart. Yeah. Look at this mm-hmm. chart. It's on my iPhone. That looks like money supply. What is it? Yeah, that's the M1 it's money supply. It's the M1 yeah. money supply. Mm-hmm. Look at how the chart steadily grows with the economy. This is goes back to 1960. I think yeah. the chart goes. And now look at the major spike. Yeah, it it's that jumped up. Yeah, it's basically a hockey stick when, chart. When yeah. do you think that happened? Yeah, it was probably oh, around the probably the crash, two thousand eight. 
No. Or was that the pandemic? That's 2020. That yeah, so that was major yeah. spike to the peak right now. But if this chart doesn't go all the way out, but then it it extends out and then it starts to flatten and it comes down a little bit. But that major spike took place in 2020. Yeah. What happened in 2020? Yeah, that was the the stimulus, the, the PP giveaway. Yeah, pay pay paycheck protection, all that stuff. We went from an M1 money supply of $6 trillion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, this is, I mean, this worldwide money supply, actually, to $16 yeah. trillion yeah. in a two-year period. Two years. Yeah, you got all that printed money sloshing out there in the economy. Not quite a three X there. Yeah, and now suddenly people are so concerned about inflation. Where'd this inflation come from? Well, I wonder. We had the supply chain issues, you know, with COVID, China shutting down, can't get the stuff that's going to drive prices up. Let's just throw a whole bunch of more money into the economy Mm -hmm. until we can come out of this, right? Yeah. Why were why why isn't anybody paying attention to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely the cause. And you hear, you hear about you know these <clears throat> these economists who think this is all a failure of supply side. You know, it, it is, is baloney. It, it is not. it is complete baloney. This is a complete failure of fiscal monetary policy, and and frankly. Um, public policy uh, that, that led to a lot of this. No, you will start to see some of this come down because we talked about consumer credit being $900 billion. Almost a trillion. Almost it's a on, trillion on dollars. I bet, we will, I bet we will blow well, that top off here before so, November is done. So what do people have to do to pay off that credit card debt? M1 money spice, you know, it's cash and it's it's deposits and yeah. bank balance. It's the real liquid stuff. People yeah. have to yeah. start to use that to pay off that consumer debt. So you're seeing a little bit of a drop-off now in the M1 money supply. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a long time to pull a lot more dollars out of the system, out of the economy, yeah. than, than what we see now. I kind of agree with their the feds selling bonds because that's going to – that's going to pull money out as well. Well, they have to. They yeah, have to. Yeah. As a part of the quantitative tightening program. And just to get the Fed funds rate where it is. And to get the funds fit. But, right, exactly. But, you know, that's so, that's the thing. That chart illustrates it perfectly. Like, you look at that kind of gentle, gentle upward slope. And then it's just a spike. And we should uh, we should put the link to that chart um, in the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, our, our this, this is... Yeah. The, I mean, from, from here, again, I don't know. But, this is like 1960 or something is the beginning of the chart. Yeah. You just see a steady increase, and that's what it should be. They should be controlling the M1 money supply, and it should continue that way. As the economy grows, you need to put more money in. Yeah. But you should never see a spike like that. That I mean, this but is insanity. The The other interesting thing about that chart is sort of the lag effect with which it happened. The inflation I'm referring to happened, too, because it it's not only the money supply, but it's also the velocity with which it's yeah. going to be turning over. You know, yeah. if you give everyone a bunch of money and they shove it under their mattresses and they never actually buy anything, well, that's all good and well. There's a lot of dollars out there, but they're not necessarily buying goods or services. They're not necessarily in the banking system. So if the money isn't turning over, you know, the, the inflation effect actually should be muted because there's no velocity. But yeah, now we but, reopened. Yeah, but you, exactly. And now but we the reopened. money is being turned over. Yeah. Have you been to now, a restaurant lately? Right. You, you can't Go get a, a table. You can't get a table. Famous Yeti's it's Pizza. Wall to wall people. I mean. 
you can't get a place to sit. <laughs> yeah. I don't see anybody sitting at the yeah. bar at their, their dining room table gouging themselves with food. They don't seem too concerned about inflation. Yeah. They're spending the money that they've had in their pockets for yeah. the past couple of years. And that's 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 the other problem, the, the inflation story here, um, it, it, why it's going to be so hard to tamp down is because while we may be seeing some moderation in um, prices for some goods – Maybe if you squint really hard, um, the raw material inputs that go into goods like lumber or copper, you know, things of the silver, things of those nature, things like that. Um, it's the prices for services that have actually been going ballistic lately. I mean, that's what the Fed is so freaked out about yep. is the yep. price for services um, is is through the airline tickets, hotel rooms, um, experiences, all that stuff is still ballooning. And the problem there is it's going to result likely in this dreaded wage price spiral where workers have to continue to demand increases in their cost of living. Yes. And those increased wages then squeeze corporate margins and companies then have to raise prices further to offset those increased costs in the middle of their P&L. And that's where you so, start to get the runaway. In that's where it, yeah, that's where it just starts yeah. to get that's why the Fed is so freaked out about it is because if that starts to happen, well, then, you know, we're, we're Zimbabwe, you know, and we can't let that happen. Yeah, I, I think secretly they probably do want to see a recession. They do. Maybe they a do. somewhat severe recession. They do, and they they can't admit it. Which is really yeah. kind of sick, isn't it? Yeah. When you think, I mean, <laughs> Alex is nodding over there. He's, he's just the look of disgust. Well, I mean, they, they just—it's—it's <laughs> it's like they—they they got us in this yeah. situation, and they're going to cause a bunch of people to suffer because yeah. of it. So, well, that, that, well, what a great point that is, because you know the inflation we're also experiencing now isn't just this huge run-up from um, from the pandemic relief money, which was you know one of the worst failures of fiscal policy on record you actually look at the chart there actually is a nice healthy steady decline prior to the straight line up in the money supply well you know it was our good friend ben bernanke who just won the nobel prize for <laughs> for blowing for uncle ben <laughs> uncle ben for blowing up the bubble that led to a lot of this i mean th think about where we were going into this the 10-year treasury was at what 0.6 percent meaning if you if you gave the government if your money and bought a 10-year bond from the government they would give you 0.6 percent in interest for 10 years that's what they were offering but i would there's no way a, a credit a, a properly functioning credit market would price government debt at 0.6 percent now we've really swung the other way in a very short that, amount of time very I quickly way far yeah. the other way yeah. Bernanke had to do what he did yeah. he was saving the financial institution in, in the U.S. if that crashed yeah. then we're all doomed so he they had to do something drastic safe so he kind of did the right thing but at some point, you know, 2012, 2013, the Fed should have started to back off on some of that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they, they it, should it have. Just, they should they have. They should have started to tweak up interest rates a bit. But that, just that was gradually the, do it. The problem is that Wall Street became addicted to liquidity and low interest oh, rates. And, you know, interest rates are, are a funny thing because you look at the chart of the 10-year 
versus the S&P 500 since 2008. And it's almost a perfect inverse. Almost perfect. All right. So low interest rates, you know, obviously are good for stocks well, because because we want we want that we want that we got the we got the bull on we want, yeah we, we want <laughs> stocks to go I know up. I feel like we need a I feel like we need a bullhorn or something um, <laughs> we'll work on that Alex yeah that's good but you know you know because because low interest rates are great for stocks why you know because as any financial analyst will tell you it's all about discounted cash flow and debt payments. That's really what it boils down to. So pretend you have a company mm-hmm. that is only going to last for two years. You're going to make $10 the first year, and it's going to make $10 the second year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were going to buy that company, you're not going to pay $20 for it. You're going to pay something a little something bit less. less. Right. All right, And that's determined by what the interest rates are in the market. So if the interest rate is 10%, you know, year one, you'll make $10. But in year two, um, you know, that company maybe is only worth $9 in free cash flow for its second year. So you should pay $19 for that company if interest rates are 10%. Right. What if interest rates are 50%? So year one, $10, okay. But then year two, interest rates of 50% kick in. Those discounted earnings are worth $5. So you should only be paying $15 for that company. Mm-hmm. That's what? Right. Percent less, thirty percent right. less, twenty percent well, less. The value of that company no, just by exactly the interest right. rate but, payments, but, so. and that's why or the interest rate discounting. The S- yeah, S and P and the, the Nasdaq and the Dow have all come down because of that. Yeah, that's and, and that's why Wall Street is so hooked on on the Fed juice in the system. That's why that's why you know we're constantly looking to when that when those interest rates are going to stop yep. so yep. we can get back to pouring the yep. liquor. You, you keep know, that punch bowl full. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> put, put a little more liquor in that punch bowl. But the the problem is the um, the inf- the inflation. You know, while we we talked about oil, you know, and I think yeah. I think oil has it has massively bullish implications mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. five, maybe even ten mm-hmm. years. And actually, interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you saw Warren Buffett. Um, uh, pocketed thirteen billion dollars on his investments in Chevron and Oxy yeah, for good. the past two months. Yeah, good for Warren. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's where they're going because the the world doesn't have enough because this green energy transition it's a myth because we do not have enough lithium on this planet to, to for exactly for batteries in order to right. in order yeah. to do this we cannot accommodate no, that yeah there's not enough Which, and that's i've been saying that for how many how many years have i been saying this alex about somebody's got to come up with a different battery <laughs> technology we've got to get away from a, a lift of yeah. a while yeah. it's been a while they're yeah. working on they're working on like silicone batteries i think silicone batteries yeah yeah, yeah. 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 that what they're working on yeah <clears throat> but but there's something that they the, for the whole climate change thing. There's something they can have an immediate impact on. And I just read an article about this the other day. What's the number one contributor to the CO two in the atmosphere? Probably um, livestock or farming or no coal. Uh, coal. Okay. Coal. Yeah. Burning coal. What's yeah. number two? Probably livestock or farming. Way down the list. Oil. Oil, really? Right. Oh, okay. It's natural yeah. gas. Yeah. But coal is 
two times more of the contributor to the CO2 levels than natural gas. Yeah. Oil is one and a half times mm. more mm-hmm. of the contributor yeah. to CO2 than natural gas. Why don't they make a, an initiative to convert all coal-fired boilers and generators and all, to natural gas, all oil-fired yeah. you know, steam to natural gas? Well, you could have an immediate impact on the CO2 levels. Well, I'll tell you why. It's, it's because Senator Manchin is from West Virginia, um, well, is what it boils good down for to. for Senator I mean, Manchin. And he drives a Maserati that the coal industry paid for. And you're right. But those natural gas are easy to do. Yeah, natural gas is the answer to, to transition. I mean... Natural gas, baby. Because <laughs> <laughs> natural gas, I mean, it, it burns, it actually does burn relatively cleanly. No one, it does. No one really wants to talk about that, but natural gas is actually fairly it's clean. Still, you still have CO2 emissions, obviously, but it's, it's, I mean, if you can cut it in half from yeah. what coal is burning, yeah. why wouldn't you do that but immediately? Then, but then, but then you have the other problem, which is, okay, we're, we're wanting to uh, potentially convert our infrastructure to more natural gas, while Europe has an existential natural gas pr- crisis on their hands due to the fact that they were getting almost 100% of their natural gas from Putin via the Nord Stream pipeline, which they then sanctioned, uh, of course, after the Ukraine war. Putin but Vladimir Putin. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we'll cut that part. But, <laughs> but you think about you think about that for a second. You know what they're paying for natural gas over there? And you know what we're paying here? We're, we're paying about paying like eight or nine. We were. It's come down a little bit on warmer weather forecasts. So we're about six dollars for that's, per British thermal that's unit. Pretty cheap. It's cheap, but it's three times expensive as where we were a few years ago when it was two bucks for British yeah, well, thermal that's, unit. That's giving it away. And, and guess guess what, everyone? You know that's how where your electricity comes from is is natural gas or, or coal. But right. Europe doesn't have any. They're paying thirty dollars per British thermal unit over there. All right, thirty dollars. Mm. That's why they are thirty U.S. dollars. Yeah. Are, are we're, oh. Is that okay? Okay, yeah. So $30 per British thermal unit. U.S. dollars. And here's the kicker. Here's 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 one of the massive <clears throat> issues that's going to affect the stock market, um, you know, and, and the U.S. dollar uh, for the foreseeable future is the Europeans are not going to go back to buying natural gas from Putin until the war is over or until he's out of power. Like, that is just... It's probably not going to happen. It took them forever yeah. to put the coalition together. Right. They're not going to walk away right. from he, it now. He's burning a lot of bridges. But so, what? Where do the Europeans? What do the Europeans have to do? They have to buy it from us. We have a lot of natural gas in this country. Right. A lot of natural gas. We have more natural gas than we do oil, and actually, we have more coal than we do natural gas. But right. that's besides right. the point. Right. So, in order to fulfill the overseas demand for natural gas that our European allies are coming to us for, what do they have to do? They have to sell their euros and buy U.S. dollars and pay us U.S. dollars for our natural gas that we will export to Europe, right? We're not accepting euros for for our natural gas. We take dollars. Mm -hmm. That energy issue there is going to continue to result in an ongoing 
backstop for the U.S. dollar because the euro is going to continue to depreciate because we'll be satisfying their energy needs. And the U.S. dollar, which is already at 20-year highs, right. has massive potential, in my opinion, to go even higher than right. that. Until we go into a full-blown recession. And what does a U.S. dollar, a strong U.S. dollar, do for stocks? I mean, we've already seen it this year. Look at Nike. Nike um, this past summer when the dollar index was 105, they were talking about how, oh, my gosh, you know, the strong dollar. I mean, we earn whatever it is, 40, 50 percent of our money overseas. When we have to convert that back to a to a strong U.S. dollar, our corporate profits are evaporating. Now, they weren't as chicken little as that, but mm -hmm. you get the point. The dollar index last week was above 113 again. Yeah, it's crazy. So let me, higher. let me ask you this, <laughs> you know, U.S. dollar being as strong as it is. How do you make sense out of the fact that recently exports have been increasing, U.S. imports have been declining? Yeah. That's contrary to a strong dollar. It is contrary. And I think we it's... We should be importing like nobody's We business. should be importing like nuts. And, and Which tells yeah. you what? It tells the economy is slow. It's weak. Down. Yeah, the economy is weak, and and I I think the the import side is interesting because you're right. We should be we should be buying from all over the world like crazy, right? Because we can all of a sudden versus the versus the um, the Japanese yen, right? We're up right. thirty percent versus the British pound up twenty five percent versus the euro up twenty percent. You look at these things. We should be importing from everywhere because we could get twenty percent more stuff. You could get. I mean, holy cow! Alex, what you a could bargain. get two toasters instead <laughs> of right. one. Alex is going to get two toaster ovens from <laughs> from China. <laughs> but but you know the the issue um, as as I see it is people. Uh, while we should be importing a lot more, we're not. Because the consumer is going broke, right. that's 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 right. how they I see it. Right, they, their money is drying, and up they're spending it. all their money on food and gas. Yep. the the other The other thing too, um, you know that um, that I think is interesting, especially in the latest GDP numbers, is you're right. Export numbers were up, but it's all energy. Like it's liquid it's, natural it's gas. Liquid natural to gas. To Europe, yeah. Like it's nit yeah. liquid natural gas, and people paying us an appreciated U.S. Right. dollar right. for. Which that's like, good. That's a good thing. Yeah, we want that. that. We, we want that. Yeah, that's great. And actually, honestly, that could be the one saving backstop for the S and P, yeah. is because um, energy, which has been underweight for so long, S and P earnings for the energy sector are up like 150 percent year over year. Mm -hmm. I mean, Exxon, Chevron. You look at all these stocks. I mean, they they've just gone ballistic, and I think they're going to continue to do so. Good. But I think it's also going to continue to have bullish implications for the U.S. dollar. I mean, especially you think about um, not only the the problems in Europe, but the U.K. And yeah, now I've got to yeah. blow my own horn yeah, on this yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I predicted the prime minister would resign in shame in <laughs> September. And then not even a month later, she did. Well, she had um, a crazy idea. I mean, yeah. Slashing taxes in the middle of all this. That's not good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the key, the medicine here is um, contractionary yes. monetary and fiscal policy. Actually, yeah. as painful as it is, tax increases 
and higher interest rates would be the medicine. That would be the medicine. Yeah. And and I said, didn't I say that last a couple <laughs> weeks ago? I mean, realistically, it's it's evil and all that, but realistically, we should be raising taxes. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. We and, should. And you see yeah. all the political ads and stuff now about oh, we have to we have to help. We have to help everybody with these high inflationary costs. Let's give them more money. Let's cut their taxes. Let's do it. That's the worst thing. That yeah. Can happen oh my right God. Now. Absolutely yeah. the worst thing. Oh God. Yeah. Because I the know. U.S. is it's a consumer-driven economy. You give people money, they're gonna spend it. Right. We're not Japan. We're, they're gonna spend it, and right. that's just gonna create more inflation. So, we, again, we need to sit tight. We need to be patient. You know, the Federal Reserve has no patience. <laughs> I don't think the political environment yeah. has any patience either. Yeah. Um, well, and um, it's 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 an excellent point. But I th- the other thing is, I think the the American c- consumer, I think people are going to start to panic here very shortly, because yeah. if you look at since March of 2020, people have been able to sit home. Right, mm-hmm. not pay their rent mm-hmm. because there's no defaults on rent. <laughs> right, the moratorium. You haven't had to pay your energy. They bills. can't evict them. Yeah. They can't be evicted. Yeah. Right. You haven't paid. You can't. You don't have to pay your energy bills. You don't have to pay your medical bills. Mm-hmm. There's been no collections on default on medical bills. Right. Yeah. You've had money given to you every year from the federal government. Why would you work? All that is coming to an end. They're starting collections again on medical defaults. They're starting collections on energy. They're evicting people again. There's mortgage defaults. Yeah. All of that is starting to happen again. Yeah. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. And I'm I'm predicting there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah. People are going to start to panic and go, "Holy crap! I need to get back to work." Yeah. And I think I think that. the the point about the point about taxes um, really is important because in an inflationary environment like this, um, we are seeing state after state come out with these inflation relief checks, yes. sending money, sending money directly to people. Like this is this is economic illiteracy. Yes. Like you can't be borrowing money and giving it to people to spend on goods and services. The whole point of inflation is we need to see a collapse in demand so that it comes back into line with supply. There haven't been these supply shocks. Like this is this again, I just go back to this. It's just the biggest myth, you know, that we've seen these all these supply shocks, oil supply shock, you know, supply shocks at the ports. It's like no. No, that's not what has happened here. You know, All right? somewhere we along have produced the way, excess aggregate demand. Is so, it, somewhere along the way, too, and I don't know whereabouts in history this happened, but the whole Keynesian philosophy yeah. of spending money during down economic times, yeah. that has morphed into giving money. Yeah, right. When Keynes presented that to FDR in the depths of the Depression, he was... The federal government needs to spend money. They need to build. They need to have construction. Public projects. works. They need yeah. to have public right. works. They need to put money. That's how you pump money back into the economy and get people working yeah. again. Yeah, that's what his philosophy was. It wasn't just here's a just check, mail people a go check, spend it, give it to Jeff Bezos. Right. Yeah. I mean that's and somewhere along the way right. that's morphed into this whole philosophy of oh we got to help people here let's let's just write them a check. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
it's 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 absurd and you know i'm not i'm not big on on handouts but you know if that's going to be you know a temporary solution for something you have to do anyway okay we need the government to have provide us with good roads and bridges like i get that you know that's that's important and if we're going to helicopter money down on people we might as well be getting something back in terms of infrastructure for yeah. our investment right do something with you it. know it's sort of like the um you know it's it's like the the pay to pay to work type programs you know where you know okay if you want something from uncle sam you better give something to uncle sam in return but you know the the issue of of taxes is because we have to get back to a balanced budget or a budget surplus fast really fast okay because we're still running a trillion dollar deficit right now that's after a 2.5 trillion dollar deficit last year yeah, the, the new theory, though, is that the federal debt and deficit is really n- not that significant as long as on the individual consumer side you're not running deficits. Oh, so if the, federal, if the federal government has a big deficit, that's okay as long as the individual balance sheets are still positive. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but it's the individual it's, it's, balance sheet factoring in the tax bill. It's totally I mean, U.S. debt. There was a there was an article out this week that said um, I think it was the CBOE that said it that by 2024 2025 somewhere in that fiscal year stretch we're going to be spending more on interest rate servicing costs so interest rates mm-hmm. on our national debt yeah yeah then the budget for the entire Department of Defense. So that's seven hundred billion plus dollars a year in right. interest yeah. that we are going to be paying. Yeah. This yeah. is this well, this hasn't been sustainable for a long time, but now it's just really coming home to roost. Yeah. You know, because it's amazing how stupid we were, you know, during during the Obama and Trump years when we had we had ten and thirty year notes and treasuries down at one percent, one point five percent. How we didn't have the foresight to refinance everything at those rates is beyond me. And now here we are with the debt turning over, and we have to pay four and a half, four point seven percent, possibly higher, real soon. Right on that. Well, but and again, yeah. you can't keep but, running those annual deficits because that's just going to keep it keeps ballooning. ballooning we have to we have to get back to it. So even if you did refinance some of it, yeah. you're never going to keep pace. Yeah. We yeah. well, we have to get back to to budget, uh, at least a balanced budget or budget surpluses, um, because that's the only way that we're going to be able to tame inflation. And we have to do that either through reduced spending or through higher taxes or both. Just don't eliminate Social Security. Because think about, think about what the government is doing. <laughs> because yeah, exactly, no, God, yeah, don't touch my social security, don't touch bro. Because <laughs> <security, man. laughs> think about what the government is doing when they're running a deficit. The, all the government does is buy things. Really, is what it's doing at the end of the day. Right. It's buying goods or it's buying services. And when it's running a trillion dollar deficit, okay, it's it's competing with the free market for goods and services. Mm-hmm. It could be. It could be, you know, whatever. Um, it could be, it could be 
copper or iron, you know, for defense projects. Well, you know, it can be yeah. concrete and, for roads or bridges, well, whatever. And, it and that be. in itself yeah. drives up interest rates. Right. Right. Yeah. Because the government's out there competing with you and I yeah. for money. There's only so much money around unless mm-hmm. they keep printing it like they have been. It's the crowding <laughs> but, out effect. Yes. Yeah. It's the crowding out effect. Yeah. Yep. So we're, we're getting that now in spades. But to go way back to the previous point is... Okay, so we established we need budget surpluses or balanced budgets. The trust government in the UK took completely the opposite approach. Completely the opposite. In the UK, they have they have inflation way worse than we do. Actually, their inflation rate touched eleven percent last month. Eek. Yeah, Eek is right. So what did they do? They announced sweeping tax cuts across the board. <laughs> <laughs> they, they announced that they were going to put a cap on energy costs. For every oh, household in the UK. Yeah. I'm not sure if you Cap, saw that. Yeah, pricing caps always work. Price caps work, they right? Yeah, work. it never produces shortages <laughs> or anything like that. Never. Well, of course, the market sniffed it out and said, well, okay, if you're going to put a price cap, that's going to be funded by the exchequer, and that's going to be deficit finance. You know, right. So if you're going to be borrowing more money, you're going to be going deeper into deficits. Yeah. And what's going to happen there? The bond market said... We need to be compensated for that additional risk. And the, the UK 10-year gilts, if you saw that, they were on a one-way trip to 5% for the 10-year gilt. Hmm. Okay? And oh. the pound collapsed. The pound went down to like a dollar three. Now, in 2008, it was like two, two pounds two, or two dollars for one for pound. Many long, long time. The it was pound went all the way but down the euro to one three. Mean, the euro below yeah. 97 or whatever what's the euro at now i don't even the, the yeah the euro while well, it re, it regained a lot on friday on the non-farms uh non-farm payrolls report but it's like 99 cents but the euro to be under euro. A, a buck is yeah. just ridiculous yeah it's lost it's 20% crazy. of its value yeah. yeah and i bet it's going lower yeah i really do i think they're going lower the yen is going lower the pound is going lower but the thing the thing about the uk that's so interesting is the um, the increase in bond yields for the UK gilts, right? So let's establish here as as uh, as yields go up, bond prices go down, and that's because right. you receive the same fixed installment for your bond exactly. every period, right? right? So right. if you buy a bond for a hundred dollars and it's a one percent yield, that one dollar never changes, right. but if that bond drops to say fifty dollars. You still get the $1, but the yield goes to 2% then, so, right? So you have a rising yield environment as bond prices go down. Well, in the U.K., bond yields went up were on the way to 5%, which means the bond prices were going down. Well, who's the big holder of U.K. bonds? Probably the it's U.K. The U.K. It's <laughs> the U.K. It's the pension funds. Right. Yeah. It's the pension funds. So these pension funds, as the price of the UK bonds was going down, they were becoming insolvent because you have to more have more assets on your books than liabilities to pay out the pensioners, to pay out the retirees, the people who, mm-hmm. you know, have worked their whole lives, who are now collecting, um, you know, the, uh, the, the fruits of their labor. Right. And then what do you have here? It's their social security. It's a situation where the pension fund's assets were decreasing below their liabilities because of the rapid sell-off in U.K. bonds. So what did the Bank of England do? They stepped in and started buying bonds again Mm -hmm. 
to prevent the the slide in bond prices so the pension funds could have a relief valve to stay solvent. Well, what does that do? It devalues the pound and makes their inflation worse. It's like the UK is so screwed as a country. Yeah. I, I don't know how they're going to escape this. And they got this new prime minister and there was this honeymoon period. Oh, my gosh. You know, he's going to be so great. The problem is it doesn't matter who the captain on the Titanic is. Yeah. Right. There's yeah. a yeah. there's a crack in the hull. They ran into the iceberg. It's going down. I don't care how great he is. They have structural failures that are about to happen in the next handful of months. You know, it's really interesting. So the, uh, every government, the, the Europeans, the British government, the U.S., they all have these levers that they can turn to manipulate money supply, the economy, inflation, unemployment. They've got all all kinds of tools available to them, right? And they keep turning the dials back and forth. Let's try this. It's like turning the dial on your stove, you know, (laughs) more heat, less heat. Keep going back and forth. You remember Edwards Deming? Ben? No, no, I can't say I do. No. Okay, Edwards Deming was the <laughs> the father of statistical process control. Oh. Now, you're familiar with that, uh, right? Uh, Quality yeah. management and all that. Uh, in a way, so yeah. Deming, <laughs> Deming, he, yeah, I mean. <laughs> That's more Alex's way. The guy, I mean, the guy was brilliant. He wrote all kinds of books about this. But his philosophy was that you study a system and you set the controls in place, Right. And once they're set mm-hmm. to get your optimum results, you don't touch it. You don't mess with it. And he says that's the biggest problem with quality management in the American industry or any industry is people would step in and start turning the dials. Mm-hmm. Well, if you set your process correctly, you shouldn't have to adjust. There should be a natural if change in broke, the process to get it. you to where you need to be. And that's kind of what we are with economics. They can't and interest rates turning the dials. Uh, right. And interest rate policy, which is goes back to policy. goes back to why do we have a Fed? You know, I mean why why why? Because we are paying for the sins. Where's uh, Ron Paul when we need why, him? <laughs> Well, I mean when you think about <laughs> Well when you think about you think about you think about the Fed, I mean they're they're there is there is no way these group of individuals could do a better job than the market could. The mar- the market is an independent, free thinking, all knowing entity. Right. In every way, it prices in all known information perfectly, yep. and that applies for everything: stock prices, bond prices, interest rates, labor, whatever. You know, imagine if the Fed actually didn't set interest rate policy and we allowed banks, independent, free capitalist institutions to decide what they wanted to lend to each other overnight. Yes. And then they set the interest rate based on the availability of credit, which is determined by how many depositors they have in their banks at a fair interest rate yeah. that people would actually be putting money in their institutions rather than getting 0.01% on their savings account. Imagine yes. if they actually really had to pay and compete for depositors like they are now. And then those institutions determined how credit should flow, not only amongst themselves, but for loans 
for businesses, for uh, entrepreneurs. Imagine how productive our economy would, it would be. It would work. Again, that's more of a long-run look at things. Uh, what you can't risk is bank defaults, though, because yeah. a bank does a poor job in lending and determining what rates they want to you know, pay the, the deposits on and, and loan out at. If they do a poor job with that and they default, you could have that snowball effect, which we saw. Which we saw in 2008. In 2008. Yeah. yeah, and I would you know, say, but you know. But, that... but they're, they've changed that because there was there were all kinds of hedging and things going on there that they had to go back to Glass-Steagall. Well, the CDOs. you got to yeah. separate, you know, the actual banking process from the speculative pieces and the investment pieces. Right. Yeah, and, you know, but, but and if you look at what happened, too, you know, the, the banks were incented to make those risky loans. Like, when interest rates were at 0%, you could take a lot of risk because oh, because your your da- your downside is 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 not as punitive as it would be as if interest rates were 5%. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because th- think about it for a second. Think about think if you're Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan for example. Okay? Now, you know, it would be pretty nice. <laughs> You'd have a billion dollars and you'd be feeling pretty good about life. It could be Jamie Dimon. <laughs> but but think think Jamie, about it for Jamie a second. Jamie Dimon for a day. Think about it for a second. If you could if you in, in our current environment <laughs> in our current environment, we've got it we've got people at the Fed saying interest rates are now, you know, four percent. And actually they have they have accounts at the Federal Reserve, which are probably gonna pay about five percent um, just for having cash there sitting there doing nothing yeah that's... now say an entrepreneur comes to you and says hey i've got a great idea you know i want to i want to create this new business and um you know in order to grow it i need a bunch of money but you know there's there's some risk involved and uh jamie diamond talks with his staff and you know um they say you know what your business is is kind of risky and um you know i can get five percent by just doing nothing at all mm-hmm. and in order for this to work out for me in order for this to to pan out based on the business you've described i think actually i can only lend to you if i'm going to get 10 percent. Then all of a right. sudden that entrepreneur's idea might not look so hot yeah right. that entrepreneur might not be able to invest in he's going to back off that entrepreneur might not really have a business at all yeah because there's no availability of credit. That's what's happening now. But that is exactly what's right? happening now. We're starting to see the credit markets shrivel up. Yeah. And it goes back to my earlier point. Yeah. The feds have got to sit back and wait and see what happens. You're al- they're already seeing tightening in the, the credit yeah. markets. Yeah. Well, that's that's right now. Yeah. It's happening right now. Yeah. What's it going to be three months from now, six months from now? Yeah. And they don't know. They have no idea. Yeah. No one knows. But the... The, and and hopefully if we if we had a health a healthy economy what would happen then is people would start saving more and there would be a lot more cash going into the banking system and that would that would counteract the increasing interest rates because you have more people depositing more money more liquidity in the system more money available for lending money becomes more available mm-hmm. so the price of money which is an interest rate should go down mm-hmm. but the issue with that, um, as I see it today, is that the consumer doesn't have any money to deposit. 
Okay, they're, they're they've already deposited. It. <laughs> they've already deposited. It's it. in that M one money supply it's in, chart. It's in, I just the, it's in the M one. It's but, already there. But it's increasingly being it's rated. Being drawn back again. Yeah. You look at the so chart extended out. It's starting to decline because they're yeah. starting to pull those deposits out. Yeah, they have to. Yeah, they got to pay off that massive debt that they have. Yeah, you know, but in a in a not truly, working. But in a truly healthy and functioning economy, is when interest rates rise. If people have money, they should be saving more. And then those savings, bankers then lend out to entrepreneurs and small business people to grow and create their businesses, create more goods and services. And then the price of goods and services naturally comes down. Right. That's how it's supposed right. to work. Right. But the problem is with the bubble we've blown up, on the fiscal side, we've given everyone money. They've blown it all like drunken sailors. <laughs> and now, <laughs> what? What is the next recession going to bring? What is it going to bring? No one's going to have any money left. They're going to have to resort to more fiscal stimulus, which is going to produce even more underlying inflation after they tame it, hopefully sometime yeah, next yeah, year, yeah, which is why it, I remain bullish on inflation long term. Yeah, I mean, it's I just I, I agree. It's just I, unless the Fed says, you know what, we're all just going to live with 5% inflation for a while, which they might do. And they won't explicitly come out and say that, but their policy will change. Well, they have to come out with the new norm. I mean, I don't know that 2% is... Where does that come from? Yeah. Well, let me see the economic principles based on that. Maybe the new norm is 3 to 4%. That's or, standard yeah. inflation that people... Again, I go to a restaurant. I don't see anybody concerned about inflation. They're yeah. spending their money like crazy. Yeah. You know, they don't care about a recession <clears throat> coming. They're out there spending it. Maybe the new norm is much higher than what historically it has been. It could be, yeah. Just like the unemployment rate. Maybe the real unemployment rate is much higher than it historically has been. Yeah. Yeah, it very well could be. Yeah. But the inflation side is, is interesting, too, because, you know, there's one outlier in the world, and that's Japan right now, where... They're actually trying to do the opposite, if we've talked about in the past. They're actually trying to create inflation they have to, in Japan. Yeah. Well, they've been deflationary yeah. for, what, 15 years? Oh, the, how, longer, how horrible, <laughs> you know, how horrible that things go Every down year in price. Year, I mean, prices go down. Yeah, well, you know, because they, don't, they cue they the don't smallest violin the in the Japanese world. I mean, do not spend yeah, their money. They because, make money. They make rules of money. And again, they don't you know, spend it. Demographically, this is the kind of common sense stuff that economists never talk about is why would you want to produce inflation when you have one of the oldest populations on the face of the planet? <laughs> the average age is like it's like Italy, Greece and Japan. Like, why <laughs> would you want yeah. why would you want to produce inflation I don't, I don't know. on people who are old, retired and not working? Why would you want to do that? Imagine the thought know. process that goes into that. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 ludicrous right. that they want to actually do that. They need deflation because they don't have enough workers to support their elderly population. Right. Why would they want their elderly population to be more and more dependent on Social Security or whatever they have over there, pensions or whatever it is, to combat increasing costs of living yeah. when they simply could enjoy the status quo with lower costs? I mean... It's it's well, absurd. It's not like Japan's standard of living has been going down. But we we but they've raided the yen in the process. 48.4 years. Is that the oldest? A average age in Japan. Average age is forty eight oh, years the, old. Yeah, U.S. is what thirties. That, that is 
okay, that's cr- that's really old. Like it's probably mid low thirties here, uh, I would guess, in the U.S. Um, and Italy's probably up there too. Greece, yeah. you know, these these debt burdened countries, and Japan actually that is that you is know, their the, case. The as well. thing is, we we were facing a similar situation. The U.S. is US, yeah, so US 10 is years older 10 years in Japan. I mean, think about that. And, and here's why. I mean, we were facing a similar situation with the baby boom population. Yeah. I mean, how many? 79 million of them or whatever. And everyone was thinking, oh, we're headed to become Japan. But the millennials are almost as big as the baby boomers. So what you're seeing is that... The baby boomers are going away, but the millennials are still there to keep things going. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Japan has completely the opposite They're, problem. They have nothing. And they have they have a central bank that wants to produce inflation. Yeah. And the yen has depreciated, I think it's about 30%. Because have you seen, you know what the interest rate policy in Japan is? No, For the 10-year? It's got to be negative something, right? Well, effectively. <laughs> effectively, it is now. 0.25% yeah, is their, their official interest rate for a 10-year government bond in Japan, all right? So think about think about think about the people who own yen. Okay? Like if you're if you're a holder of yen and your government will pay you 0.25% interest or you could go to Germany and get 3.1% or you could or go to the US, US and get 4.2%. Yeah. Why in God's name would you be hanging on to yen if you didn't have to? You would be but, dumping that and buying US dollars hand over fist to get that credit spread differential. Yeah. And then you'd be redeeming that for depreciated yen. <laughs> mm-hmm. For you get the benefit of a stronger dollar plus a higher interest rate. Sure. I mean, if if you were a, a Japanese financial institution during the early days of this, I mean, think about how much money you could have made in the yeah. process. Just I mean, trading currencies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. But yeah. I remain short the yen, long the dollar. Yeah. Short the euro. I don't short mess with currencies. They change too quick. Well, you see, the, but the thing about currencies is you don't have to pick an individual name. You're picking a whole economy. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like if you buy a stock, you can screw it up. You can get it wrong. They can, you know, have some rough times. Yeah, you can. But like an economy. You pick them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you got to read balance sheets and cash flow you you and debt structure. Your, you got to read all that. But with an it's like it's like you're buying a company. You're not buying a stock. You buy, you buy the company. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's how you have to invest. Yeah. We'll talk, but anyway, talk yeah. about some companies. Talk about some companies. Let me maybe. let me ask you something here. I don't know how much longer we're gonna go. Well, we're, are we are we getting the hook? Oh okay. wow, we got a lot go? of we got a lot of content here. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Might have to take a pee break. Well, maybe point, <laughs> commercial break. Yeah, that's right. A word from our sponsors at Woodford. Reserve. Word from our sponsors. <laughs> okay. Take, take quick okay, fifteen. Let's do that. Here's maybe. a word from our sponsors. And now a word from our sponsors. All right. You want to you know, talk a little bit about this, okay. uh, this well, fine just, Woodford Reserve uh, that we have uh, here on our first inaugural oh. episode. I'm basically yeah. just going to read right from the bo- This is a great-looking bottle, by the way. It is. Yeah. And really, it's kind of one of my favorites. Well done. Clean, simple. 
Distillery Select, Woodford Reserve. You can buy just Woodford, too, but Kentucky Straight Wheat Whiskey. Now, Kentucky's known more for their bourbons mm-hmm. yeah. than whiskeys. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an unusual one, but I think it's a good one. One of my favorites. Smooth. It doesn't have that grassy note that I usually get from bourbons, Kentucky bourbons. I usually get that. I don't know about you, Ben, but mm-hmm. that's kind of what I taste in them. Yeah. This has more of the true whiskey taste to it, uh, like a Jameson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Similar to that. Got a really nice dark um, amber color. It does. There. Very yeah. nice caramel yeah. color, so yeah. it's aged very well. Um, and I think for the price, I don't even remember what I paid for that because I don't pay attention to <laughs> But <laughs> in, infla- inflation, but, inflation doesn't affect some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> must must be nice. That's yeah. because I've been buying yeah. a lot of bonds. Uh, oh, no, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, I hope at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. good, yeah. Bottom at the bottom. Uh, but, no, it's, uh, I think, again, for a good price point whiskey, that's uh, a good one. Yeah. Absolutely, Wood, Woodford's always been a been a really reliable choice. But right. yeah, right. all right, Woodford Reserve. We have uh, a Kentucky wheat whiskey for our inaugural episode. That's yes. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. One of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, yep. yeah. I would have I would have brought the horse soldier um, over, but I ended up drinking it all. I liked it so well, much. So did you keep the yeah. bottle? Yeah, I kept the bottle. Keep the bottle. Yeah. The bottle's cool. Yeah, I mean, I we got to know bottle. more about that one. Though. I'll, uh, I don't know much about I'll, it. I'll order some online and um, yeah. see if see if they deliver. Uh, but that Let's was. See if was, we can get it locally. Like I don't think you can. No? Yeah, no, I don't think you can. Really? Yeah, huh. yeah. I'll have to go online and see. Yeah. Find out where they where they sell that. Yeah. It was it is good. It's nice yeah. and smooth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we could do that, and then uh, you know we can also. We're supposed to be bourbon and all that, but you know, you gotta look at scotches every day. Yeah, with scotches, yeah, we sneak a good scotch yeah, in there too. The scotches yeah. we can Absolutely. Sniff there's a there's a universe of things to try. Right. Um yeah, we'll once we once we really get up and rolling, I'll I'll get Jeremy over and he'll have he'll have several. He had a root beer bourbon um that was just incredible. Like it had the sweet but also the spice. You know, as long as it's not it was, too sweet. Yeah. Knob Creek. Have you ever getting that Knob Creek maple that I've got? I haven't had that. No. Yeah. Um. You know, it's like it's like drinking maple syrup. <laughs> and uh, like Southern me, Comfort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. You know, it's nice if you. Know, but for me, it's not. Yeah. Doesn't just, hit just the mark too much. Yeah. You I also got that uh, peanut butter one, which I don't care. For. Oh yeah. The, is that the screwball? Is the that screwball. what? Yeah, or I screwdriver? I can't. It's some, something with a screw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's screwy. I don't like it. I don't like those, you know, yeah. syrupy flavored whiskeys. It's just yeah. But this this one is uh, this one is good. I mean, it's got a mm. um, yeah, nice. Uh, nice Jack nice Daniels is a good basic whiskey. Yeah, too. I, I like Jack. Yeah, yeah. gentleman Jack. The gentleman Jack. Gentleman yeah. Jack. Well, that that's that's. That's quite a step up, yeah, from uh, from your regular Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, right. um, yeah. so here we'll lay it we're, on we're, me. We're, we're probably gonna close this up here pretty soon. I got two things for you, Ben. Yeah. Number one, what do you see in the next six to? We'll go twelve months. Six to twelve months. What do you see mm-hmm. overall? And then give me a stock pick. Yeah. Oh well, I could, I think I could give you several stock picks or an, it, e- or an ETF. I could stock picks, and I'll I'll give you maybe maybe a theme 
that I'm actually interested in. I haven't done much research on it. It's it's kind of my harebrained thinking, um, but I'm 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 constructive on the sector. But for the next six to twelve months, broadly, um, you know, I I think we're gonna continue um, to see a couple more upside surprises um, in the terminal rate. Uh, for where the Fed needs to go, I think the the market kind of right now is kind of thinking somewhere four seven five five for the Fed funds rate. Um, I I think there's high probability that those expectations may need to be adjusted higher, somewhere around five and a half, maybe six percent. And I think the market is going to hate that, and I don't know when it's going to come, but I think it will, because the uh, I think we're getting um, new CPI and PCE numbers this week, or maybe just CPI numbers this week uh, on Thursday, if I remember correctly. And I think we're going to see another hot number. I think we're going to see that inflation has remained difficult to tame. I think we're going to potentially see more upside there, and I think markets will 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 react negatively as they have all year when we've seen a hot inflation print. Um, so I think that's kind of like the big one is I think the, the Fed funds rate is still maybe a little underpriced in the market. Uh, and I think equities are not going to like that. And I think bonds maybe still have a little ways to fall. I think maybe somewhere around somewhere around four and a half to five percent on the 10 year, I think, is where where we will end up. And then once we find that bottom in the bond market, maybe we'll have a buying opportunity in stocks. And I, I think maybe that could be coming within the next six months, maybe. Um, but we've got it. We've got to see another CPI number come out. Um, I also think um, oil prices are now going to continue their 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 march higher. Um, to me, like this this past summer and you know the couple months leading into the fall year, this was an aberration. Oil prices should be a lot higher than where they are. I think we're going to see gasoline prices go higher, diesel prices go higher, natural gas prices go higher, energy broadly go higher um, due to all these issues. And, and I think you know, barring a ceasefire in Ukraine. Um, we're going to continue to see significant pressures on that sector, which is going to continue to hit the consumer and hit people's wallets. And I think we're going to see a really soft holiday shopping season, uh, would be my guess. And I, I think we're, we're potentially in for a really rainy uh, November and December. Um, but, you know, one of the other risks um, that one of my favorites, Jeff Gunlock, I don't know if you follow him at all, but he was on, he was on CNBC last week. He's the, the Bond King. Uh, managed 150 billion dollars worth of bond funds, mm. and um, yeah, a lot of money. And he said one of the one of the key risks for the next couple months is going to be tax loss harvesting that we haven't necessarily seen yet in stocks. Right? right? You think about the Dow down 10 percent, S and P 15, Nasdaq down 25. Fund managers haven't harvested those losses yet for tax, for tax season. Well, we'll see it in the next and month. That could be that could be a a massive massive downside selling force that I don't think we've necessarily seen play out yet. Maybe that leads to the the panic selling that happened in two thousand eight. And maybe maybe December January we maybe have a, have a nice window to step in. Um, but I think those are those are kind of the big things. I also think in the next six to twelve months we're gonna we're gonna see a country um, with a financial accident, um, and the UK came within hours 
of that happening uh, before the Bank of England stepped in and saved the day. I don't know if they'll do it again. Maybe they will. Um, but someone's going to break. Greece, Spain, Italy, um, the UK. One of these one of these weak sister countries is is not going to have an answer um you know when they start to see the the cracks in their financial system that could lead to a contagion i it's maybe a 50 percent chance right now but it's it's on the table and it wouldn't shock me at all so how to play um i i still really like the u.s dollar um uup um, that's that's an ETF I've I've loved continue to love. Um, it's slow and boring, but I don't think you're going to lose any money there. Um, you know, I also think too uh, value is going to be huge. McDonald's, Coca Cola, um, uh, General Mills, love love those names, um, and pretty much anything oil and energy, Exxon Mobil, um, Chevron. Um, uh, ConocoPhillips. Uh, these are these are names that I think are going to continue to perform really, really well uh, over the next six to twelve months. Again, because I think we've had a lid on oil prices, and I think we're going to blow the top off of that real soon. I mean, the SPR subsidy is over. Like Jennifer Gramholm and Biden were on CNBC, you know, this past week, saying no matter what, you were going to replenish the SPR at seventy bucks a barrel. Okay, so we drained 180 million barrels out of the SPR. There's now a floor in the energy market. Oil cannot go below $70 because everyone who's making will be selling to, <laughs> to the Department of Energy. The US. <laughs> and meanwhile, we still have OPEC production cuts to deal with. Um, we still have, you know, just a just a lack of supply out of Russia uh, due to the sanctions, and it just doesn't seem likely to me that oil has anywhere to go but at worst sideways, if not way up. I agree. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. But I love the value names too, like McDonald's. My gosh, I mean, what a all star quarter they had. Yeah, they're. Um, I mean, they're phenomenal what they've done. But uh, uh, you know, kind of that uh, retail consume slash consumer sector, I'd be a little leery about because people are going to start to tighten. Yeah, they will. Yeah, yeah, they will. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so that's why you know if you're if you're indexed to to food, right. beverages gasoline the things people have to buy not yeah. the things they want to buy i mean that's that's going to be a winner yeah um i really do and right. um you know where i where i really don't like uh, mega cap tech i mean really i mean maybe with the exception of apple the lone winner um if his earnings season was apple yeah. meta destroyed um meta. amazon destroyed i mean uh, even even google or alphabet the parent company um these these high PE um, names that don't generate real earnings. I mean, they're just going to get killed, um, and I, I continue to see that being a problem, especially with the with a persistently strong U.S. dollar. Yeah, I think for the tech stocks like that, um, it's a little bit of a timing issue, and again, what your investment horizon is long term. I believe in tech. Yeah, good tech is going to be here forever um so it really depends on when do you jump in yeah and I, again i think we're getting close to that maybe we have another 10 percent down but the future the next five to ten years another 50 yeah. percent up 
Well, I so think, maybe yeah. you buy in now, sacrifice your 10% and hold and, you know, yeah. see it out for the balance. So tech long-term again is, is where you want to be. Maybe not right now, but long-term yeah. certainly. I think, I think maybe choosy in tech, right? Like, um, like, like meta, you wouldn't want quality. to touch with right. a ten foot pole. I mean, yeah. these, these days. No, um, I, I think high quality, high quality tech, tech yeah. with like yeah. Apple has real right. earnings, right? With real significant free cash flow, right? That they generate every year, right. uh, significant. Um, I would say, although some would disagree, growth in services, um, which is just massively margin creative. Those cash cow businesses, um, you know they. And then we don't even know what's on the horizon, um, you know, with the car or whatever else they're going to develop. But the other thing is like choosy in tech, like the theme I'm, I'm two themes, actually, I'm super interested in tech. Um, the first one is anything related to automation or robotics, um, like, like Rockwell automation, for example, any company that is going to be designing something, um, that allows, uh, companies to be productive without relying on people to show up for work, uh, for hourly laborers to show up for work, for office workers to actually do their job, although that's more AI, um, should be winners. I mean, we've, we've, just, we've just proven here that we, we don't have a, a really robust labor force, frankly. We need more people, and we're not going to get them overnight, but we can get more machines. Uh, to do jobs. So I love, you know, like, um, I think it was either robo or bots. I can't remember one of those ETFs. And one of them, one of them I liked, but also kind of hated because one of their top holdings was Tesla, which I think is going to be a, a, just an absolute dog, you know, for the next handful of years. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anything that's tipped towards like, labor automation and rockwell automation i think might be a good one mm -hmm. is kind of a kind of a theme mm -hmm. that i'm interested in although maybe not any particular names come to mind beyond them um, the other one is um the green tech space mm -hmm. like um one of those that i'm um following is is we've heard time and time again from general motors from ford uh from tesla from elon musk that there's not enough lithium um, we don't have enough batteries to power these green cars. Like the, there's no, there's no storage capacity for this energy that we're generating through renewable sources. And to me, um, I think that could, that could result in a sea change back towards hydrogen. Um, and I think there are a lot of hydrogen names, um, that, that could be huge. Um, if that's the way governments, if that's the way uh, countries decide to go, is to instead use hydrogen as their alternate source rather than, than renewables. Um, and hydrogen, I, I think, is massively depressed in terms of the values that it could pose for the next 20 years if that's where public policy goes. Yeah. Well, that's again. That's a long-term development. There's a lot yeah, of that's that's a that's a 10, 20 year, year 10, deal. 20 yeah, that's the horizon. That's, on that's that. not yeah. something in the next year you're going to be looking at aggressively. Because um, remember, there was always the Hindenburg. we can't have another Hindenburg. Actually, on. isn't the Hindenburg you, interesting? Though? You Think pull about up to how... the gas pump and fill up your car with hydrogen. You yeah. blow up. I mean, yeah, that you know, that is a big risk, so, but. But think about how combustible that it was, though. 
Oh. And that shows you how efficient hydrogen is compared to gasoline or hydrogen fossil fuels. And plus, yeah. you know, the universe is never, ever, ever going to run out of hydrogen. Right. Um, right. It, you know, it's the most abundant thing right. that there is. Yeah. Um, and if they can find a way to, um, to store it, to move it, to safely pump it, you know, there are names like like BP. Um, I think Exxon is in that space as well. Um, and there are probably some smaller cap companies that you could look at too i'm sure there are theme etfs in that space that you could look at kind of interesting i would imagine all the big guys you know like you mentioned bp exxon shell certainly shell 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 is always out there looking at the what's going to replace oil and gas i mean they're they're kind of at the forefront yeah they are full disclosure that's why i own shell (laughs) but but (laughs) it's one of the better ones yeah um, but no, you're right. I think the energy space is a good one to be in. Um, tech, again, like I say, is probably a long term. If you want to get in now, you can get in the rock bot, you know, good prices right now, good PEs right now, and just sit and hold and wait it out. Yeah. Don't panic if things drop further. Yeah. Um, those are always good things to be in. I'm always a believer in healthcare, mm-hmm. pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. Those are the places, to me, again, I'm a long-term investor, very bullish on the economy in general. Um, Those are good places to be because that is not going to go away. As the population grows, not just in the U.S., but third-world countries, there's going to continue to be endemics. There's going to continue to be health issues, and those are the places that will grow. So I think again, healthcare sectors are yeah uh, is always a good one. Yeah, healthcare healthcare is really good. Um, you know, and and I think too, kind of being choosy too, because we we had we okay we we definitely had some bubble healthcare stocks uh, during COVID. Like look at Moderna. You know, I mean they. Well, they're uh, one right. horse pony or one pony. Yeah, they were. Yeah, one they were. The, what do you <laughs> one trick pony. One trick pony. <laughs> a one horse pony. <laughs> one, one, horse pony. Yeah. one trick pony. Oh, the, the Woodford is pretty good. Yeah, it's a one um, pony. <laughs> but um, but you know we we saw that kind of with Pfizer too. Like I think you know so you know kind of being choosy in the space. But I I agree. I think you know we have an aging population that's not going anywhere. But I again, mean, the healthcare a, a, needs but are again, big. But again, a Pfizer. If you yeah. again look at, I always look at the financial shockwave the medical. Flow, if you all ever looked stuff, at that, the, the yeah. stream of products they've got coming through, Pfizer's a pretty good company to put your money into. Yeah. Long again, long term. Yeah. The um, only the only thing that freaks me out potentially about the healthcare sector um, is. Um, uh, you know what? What does what does Congress look like in in five or ten years? You know, and while the Affordable Care Act certainly um, enabled people to buy more insurance, it didn't really. It wasn't really this revolutionary thing uh, like a universal health care or Medicare for all that we keep hearing about. And to me, that's kind of like the big only lingering risk. Um, to the healthcare sector for for equity investments, but you know demographics support um, support buying healthcare. Uh, p- people get old, people get sick, people get diseases. That's never going to go away. Um, and there was just a sixty minutes episode last week that they're predicting there's going to be more multiple. Yeah, pandemics <laughs> yeah, like we've right. just been through right. that have come from the animal population, right? Because 
the world is growing out. We're going into jungles. We're harvesting. Yeah. We're doing all kinds cutting of things. Cutting down trees. We're cutting yeah. down trees. Deforesting. Cutting down where the yeah. animals have lived. Inter- now we're encroaching on them. Right. And those viruses are passing into us. It's and just, it's just going to be more and more of it. It's, so yeah. It's just sick, isn't it? Yeah. It's just going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's that's maybe maybe the other thing, too, as, as a theme, land. Um, really farmland um, any any riot that has a focus for land um, maybe maybe could have super high potential um, but you know I mean there there's always hypotheses you know I mean there there really are I mean I you know I half of me still kind of wants to say I want to buy a bunch of gold still even after even after all of this and just <laughs> hide in my basement with my gold uh, yeah and, that's not good but happen. <laughs> the thing, yeah, if you if you would have bought a if you would have bought an ounce of if you would have bought an ounce of gold, yeah. you know, fifteen years yeah. ago, yeah. what did you pay? Sixteen hundred dollars? No, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, yes. No, you didn't. What's gold at now? No, sixteen hundred bucks, seventeen hundred bucks. Yeah, but so you've lost money. That's that's the that's the one thing you know I I struggle with is. You know the economists I like to listen to are mostly Austrians, but um, the the thing with the thing with gold, and they love gold. They're crazy about gold. You know, gold is money. They continue to ignore the fact that gold also has commoditized properties, which, just like anything else, it's governed by the supply and demand for the underlying commodity. Um, you know, just like just like U.S. dollars versus euros. Um, you know, it's only priced in relative terms you know you go down to your gas station i mean maybe the teller will take you know one one hundredth of an ounce of gold for your for your for your fill up (laughs) Um, but probably not they'll probably say no i'm not interested you know give me give me a 50 dollar bill or whatever it is these days so yeah i mean it's just it's just one of those things that um that I just I would love to believe that gold could skyrocket in the future, but I don't really think it actually will. So I don't know. Thematically, that's an area I'd love to believe in further, but I don't. I don't think I will. Oh, uh, but you know the tech the tech trade has been super interesting. You know, you watch the collapse with Meta. I mean, you know, it's it's almost like approaching value territory when you look at it, and. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's some some future where Meta actually succeeds in creating the metaverse, and that's where we live and, and interact and have all these these crazy adventures. And yeah, and you look at you look at a, a chart of Meta, a one year chart of Meta. I mean, they're down almost seventy one percent, two hundred and forty bucks, uh, just about off of their high. I mean. I mean, what's Zuck's net worth got to be now? I mean, he's he's got to be you know sub thirty bill. I mean, he was around a hundred bill. Yeah, a hundred billion. Yeah, yeah. He must have lost that much. I mean, that's that's how bad the air has come out of Meta. So, you know, Meta. Obviously, I said I said before I wouldn't touch him with a ten foot pole right now. But there could be a time in the next four six months where the stock just gets so cheap you may have to buy it just by the fact that yeah they do have instagram they do have whatsapp they do have facebook the user engagement is actually up last quarter not down so that was interesting and now the fcc was talking about how they might just outright ban tiktok 
I mean, you know, an outright ban of TikTok has to be insanely bullish for for a stock like Meta. Um, you know, and you you look at that. Um, that's YouTube, YouTube and Meta. Yeah. So I mean, some sort of government external externality like that might play well for for Meta and for Google. Um, but you know, you you can't know for sure. I mean, we've got elections in what uh, two days the midterm elections in two days, um, you know, the, the complete makeup of Congress and the Senate could change, you know, really, really quickly. Um, you know, and markets are now pricing in about an 80% chance that the Republicans will retake the house and about a 55% chance that they'll also retake the Senate, which is, I mean, incredible. I mean, I mean, the, yeah, the red wave exactly is, is definitely here. Um, and I think that's largely been you know, a consequence of the fact that people can't afford to buy food and gas, you know. And I mean, politicians and the party in power doesn't win re-election when gas is four dollars a gallon. Like it just it doesn't happen. Like you can <laughs> you can look back at history when gas prices are up, the incumbents are out. Like that is tried and true how it works. And it's not for lack of trying. Like the Biden administration has done everything to try to put a cap on gas prices with the SPR releases, but the problem with the run-up in gas prices wasn't wasn't the the war in Ukraine. It was the sanctions on Russia that produced the global shortages in the oil market in the first yeah, place. Right, so think right. about what the Biden administration did here for a second. So Putin right. invades Ukraine. We don't like that. Okay, fine. Well, we're going to be real tough. We're going to sanction your oil. Well, that's going to create localized supply shortages all throughout Europe, which is going to result in a bidding up of prices globally for a fungible commodity. So that can move from border to border without right. much issue. Oil will find its way to the highest bidder globally, locally. Well, and, and these sanctions. And, and then they stopped short of India. So yeah. they put all these sanctions on 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 Russia selling to Europe and to all the places that actually need oil, except India. Yeah. India is one of the biggest consumers of oil. And they added. And yeah. they added. Yeah, and they added. Why yeah. wouldn't you put pressure on India not to import Russian oil? Yeah. That made no sense. Well, and, so, and, well, the, well, and the other unfortunate truth is, you know, they had a built-in customer in China, no matter what. Right, no you matter know? what. I mean, they right. had a built-in right. customer. Right. So, you know, the sanctions to cut off Russian oil from reliable buyers in Eastern and Western right. Europe did nothing except right. increase the value of the ruble right. <laughs> and right. make Putin's war coffers flush yeah. with cash. We just we just penalized so, Europe is so, all we did. Well we penalized Europe and then in response to the higher oil prices, we saw higher gas prices here. So we depleted our own strategic petroleum reserves in response to the sanctions that we helped orchestrate. Yeah. And then we have to replenish I mean, at higher prices. <laughs> and we have to replenish at higher prices. Yeah. I mean think about the lunacy here. Yeah. Imagine if instead when Putin had invaded Ukraine, we said, you know what? Yeah. No sanctions at all. And what we're going to do now is release from the SPR in the absence of any sanctions. Imagine what the price of oil would have fallen to rather than risen to or, if we had done that. Or you just start pumping again. Or start I mean, pumping and, more. And, and, and say to the, the climate 
you know, people, and I, I'm a climate guy. I believe that we got to do something about that. But you say, to, you say to all the green people, hey, this is a temporary thing. We're in a crisis situation. We are going to produce oil up the yin-yang because we want to stop this nonsense. Yeah. And then we'll go back to but, our green policies after this is all done. But, yeah. Why don't, you, why don't they say that? Why don't they come out and do something like yeah. that? But with it, well, exactly, and, and that's that's what needed to be done. But instead of running the price of oil up from seventy bucks to one hundred and twenty, if instead we hadn't sanctioned, and instead, you know, we're just going to flood the market with as much oil as we possibly can, we theoretically could have driven the price of oil down from seventy bucks down to thirty. Because think about it: when we announced the SPR releases, we were at one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel. Then we went down to 180. That's a forty dollar differential. Well, pre-war, oil was mid seventies, eighty. Yeah. That forty dollar differential, if that applies, that would put oil mid thirties. Imagine what gas prices would be then. I mean, you know, the inflation we're facing today is largely a construct of the sanctions that we've done. Yeah. And not only that, if we had an even stronger dollar. Because the dollar was only like 102, 103, the dollar index back then. It's now over 111. If the dollar was even higher, oil prices would be even lower. Yeah. That's still why I remain bullish on oil long term is because once the dollar starts to weaken, oil prices have nowhere to go but up. But but that's what I that's what I got. That's good. Um, (laughs) I just have one last thought on the Federal Reserve. Okay, just to. Uh, well, just one last you, thought. You I, get the final word. I yep. want, I get, <laughs> and I think I mentioned something about this a little bit earlier, about how twisted their mentality is. Think about this. And I think we need to change how the Federal Reserve approaches their controls over the economy. And it used to be traditionally, if you have high employment, you're going to have high inflation. Correct. Yeah, a lot, is yeah, a competition a lot working, for workers, higher wages. High yeah. So the concept has been, well, if you need to control inflation, you need to bring employment down or increase unemployment. Now, how sick is that? No. When you really think about that, we, we need to put people out of work no, right. in order to control inflation. To in control wage costs, right. which, wage lead costs to which lead to inflation. Right. Mm-hmm. How twisted and... Demented is that. Yeah. But that is the economic theory. Yeah. So I think there has to be some new thinking into how we approach all of this. But yeah. Again, like I say, maybe all those models no longer apply in the way the world is today and the way the economy is today. That maybe inflation numbers have to be higher and employment numbers or unemployment numbers have to be. No doubt. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and theoretically, these people are working. Theoretically, these people are making goods or services of some kind. And if you're going to produce unemployment, what are you doing? You're preventing them from making goods or services. And instead, you're going to be putting them on the government's payroll. Exactly. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. You know, that's probably why, you know, Rockwell Automation. The automation theme, I think, fits in nicely. We need more people or robots making things or, you know, come on. 
immigration reform people like we've we've been you know hearing about this you know for the past 15 years and it, nothing has ever gotten done did, but, I, did yeah. I ever tell you my solution to the immigration issue it's pretty simple oh, this actually. will be good yeah they yeah. always say that <laughs> the, the reason the, re- <laughs> the reason we have the buildup at the border is because we don't have enough judges to process these people according to immigration law hmm. right so there's a backlog of people because the courts can only put so many people through the immigration process. Yeah, yeah case by My case. My idea yeah. was take all of these people that are graduating from law school every year, mm-hmm. which there are now more lawyers graduating than there are lawyers on the face of the planet. Each Every year, there's more lawyers graduating than there are existing lawyers. Take all of those lawyers that are coming up fresh out of law school, yeah. send them to the border, Make them immigration judges yeah. and process these people. Well, it, it, it's a great point. And it's it's what we did during the pandemic. We pulled we nursing did. students. We did. We pulled, yes, um, we did. We pulled doctors who were still in college, not doctors yet, in training, out of college. And right. we sent them to hospitals yep. to take care of people. Right. You got to manage a crisis. You got <laughs> but you also got to drink more bourbon. You do. <laughs> and more bourbon is always the answer. That's right. All right. Okay.